Welcome to the Dietitian Connection podcast, a show about nutrition, dietitians, and their success stories. Through our conversations with nutrition leaders, we aim to inspire you, to connect you with like-minded colleagues, to innovate and push you out of your comfort zone, to create robust debate, to encourage lifelong learning, and to empower you to create more impact as a dietitian. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land where you're listening. I'm recording from the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and I pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Welcome to our Dietitian Connection podcast. I'm Jane Winter from Dietitian Connection and I'm an accredited practicing dietitian. So this is another one in our series of podcasts looking at some of the the interesting and maybe more novel paths that dietitians are pursuing. And today um, I'm really thrilled to be joined by Kyla Smith, who's better known as Dr. Kyla to her more than 100,000 Instagram followers. Is that right? Carla, it's right. It's crazy though, isn't it? Yeah. Carla, Carla's a pediatric dietitian who works with parents to help them feed their families with confidence. Her range of online memberships are designed to meet the needs of parents, introducing solid foods, navigating fussy eating, packing school lunches and feeding the whole family. She's also currently working on changing the way we talk about food in schools. Carla's been a dietitian for 16 years and also has a PhD in childhood weight management. So welcome to our podcast, Carla. I'm looking forward to hearing all about your story. Thanks for having me. So as usual, I really love to hear about people's paths into dietetics and your sort of career twists and turns up Mm. until now. Can you fill us in on your background, why dietetics and what your early career held? You know, I wanted to be a dietitian since I can remember. I went to our year 10 um, careers night at school and there was a dietitian who was going to talk. And I said to my parents, right, she's on at 8 to late 15. We don't have to go earlier or later. Like I want to see her. I'm going to listen to her and then let's go home. And I do not know where that came from. My parents can't tell me. I just knew like I loved food. I loved science. I just always wanted to be a dietitian. Um, and so I basically like I left school got the marks I needed, went to um, uni, did a Bachelor of uh, Science in Nutrition. And then at the time we had the one-year postgrad diploma of dietetics. So So you're in Perth, aren't you? In Perth, WA, yep. And our our degree has changed since then. It's now a five-year, like two-year master program. This is just a one-year postgrad. Um, So, yeah, four years after I left school, I graduated as a dietitian um, and went straight into the workforce um, to be fair, I didn't get a job until uh, the end of April of that first year. So I was like convinced that already I'd done the wrong thing, maybe. Like, I, you know, I should have walked into some kind of work um, straight away. But I um, wanted to work in geriatrics uh, at the very start, which is a surprising <laughs> um, yes, ambition considering where I am now. Um, I got a, a locum position at our. Um, children's hospital here and I thought well I mean this is the only work I'm going to get which is pretty wild because everybody wants to work at the kids hospital like I was very Mm. lucky to get a short-term role um and I I started work there in April of the year I graduated and I I just fell in love like I 
I remember driving home one night having run a, a kid's um, kind of weight management clinic that was like an after-school evening one and I was probably not getting home till about 7 and I was driving home in the dark and I was like, I love my job. Like this is everything I wanted and more. So was that um, like um, just a short term? Oh, yeah, I was there like six weeks. Yeah, Right. <laughs> and then I had no job and I was like, ah, have I done the wrong thing again? Um, yeah. And actually that's what I did for the first few years is I locumed in as many positions as I could. And that's probably one of the best things I ever did as a new grad. I didn't, I felt like I had to find a permanent good role and actually dipping my toe into multiple roles on, in multiple hospitals, in multiple settings was, it made it really clear what I didn't want to do. <laughs> and, and I think that's me, still, that's really common, isn't it, for new grads yeah. to be looking for a permanent ongoing yeah. role and are very disappointed if a locum or a short-term contract is what they get. Yeah. And I I mean, I didn't have a mortgage or, you know, any kind of um, commitments at that time. So I was lucky that I guess I could do that more freely um, I knew I could always pick up some more shifts at Bunnings if I needed to. Um, yes. But, yeah, I'm really glad that I did that. And I actually um, met so many people and made so many professional connections in those first couple of years just by saying yes to all the opportunities that kind of came up. Yes. So. so then at some point you decided, well, what was your first permanent job then? <laughs> um, I can't even tell you that I had a a permanent job. I was in short-term contracts for a really long time, some of them longer than others. So I moved through kind of our children's hospitals. Uh, I worked at most of the tertiary hospitals here in Perth. Um, I did a couple of stints in um, secondary hospitals too. Actually, probably my first permanent role um, was, it was one day a week um, in our community health setting, working in a mealtime management team. So that was kind of a, based on the experience I'd got at our children's hospital, one of the community leaders you know approached me randomly at the end of year barbecue that nobody else went to um <laughs> I was like yeah I'll show up and everything um and she offered me a, a role that was actually four days a week for a couple of months um and then I did that for a little while and I loved it so much like even more than my children's hospital job that I they actually were able to negotiate for a one day a week permanent role so that would have been uh, a good four years into my working life um, that I had a one day a week role and um, I wished for that to be more for so long. Like that was my, I said to everyone, like, if I could do this four or five days a week, I would be set. And I was traveling like some days, 50 minutes to get to work, almost an hour on the way home in traffic. Um, so it wasn't even an ideal lifestyle, but I <laughs> loved the work that I, and I would have happily done that had I got, um, more FTE and I'm really actually quite glad that I didn't um, get what I thought I wanted at that time. So I kept that one day a week and I just dabbled in pretty much everything else. I worked in policy for a while, um, again, like short-term kind of six-month, mm -hmm. you know, contracts, but enough for me to be like, mm, I don't want to work in policy <laughs> ever yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they, and again, I met lots of people and then it got to a point um, it would have been kind of five years out uh, or maybe a little bit more, um, a bit more than that, that I was still working in. Uh, I'd become a bit of a, a childhood 
um, weight management program specialist. Like I was trained in almost all of them. So I was running kind of triple P versions in the community. Um, I was running a um, community-based one through our university and I was running the um, clinical one at our tertiary hospital and they were all quite different. Um, but I really kind of had found a bit of a niche where I knew what was going on in that space. And so I was asked to consult on a few um, grants and we actually got a grant from Healthway um, through the university where um, we kind of got to develop and and improve the existing program based on all the evidence. So it was a big review um, and we, we got a fair bit of money from Healthway. And my boss at the time said to me, like, we can pay you to work on this in a, a small capacity or you can consider, you know, being a student and doing this as a research project where you really take this, develop it into something really meaningful. We do full evaluation and we we write it all up as part of the grant, but that would have to be like a, a higher degree. Um, and I I said to him like, like what? How long did you think about that? Yeah. Uh, at first I was like, no, nah, I, no, I don't want to do it. I am finally earning some money. I feel like I'm, I've got a bit of respect in what I'm doing. Like I, I love the idea of this, but I, I don't think I want to, I don't think I want to go back to being a student and like, that sounds really hard. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I, I kind of said to him like, nah, I'll, I'll work on it, but I'm still going to do some other work. And then it got to a point where they said, nah, we need somebody on this who is going to hold the, because it was a um, food activity and attitudes program. So they're like, we need somebody to drive the food and we don't have the cash in our budget to pay somebody as a, 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 a proper dietitian kind of yeah. staff member, but it can be subsidized um, as a scholarship. And so essentially the only reason I said yes was because I didn't want to hand this program to somebody else and lose the essence of what I had put into it so far. Like I had really clear visions of where I wanted it to go. Um, and so it was purely selfish reasons that I said yes because I didn't want to lose it. Yep. Um, and so I started I started the process then of kind of um, applying for candidacy and there were so many challenges in that route. Um, I got really lucky. Like I'm, I didn't end up having to do the master's first. I actually started a master's and then converted it into a PhD yep. in the long run, which I'm not even sure is possible these days, but yep. um, it's like my heart and soul was in that program. So I'm glad that I did, you know, I didn't have to then go back and do a PhD afterwards because I think that would have um, sent me over the edge. But Had you yeah. published anything on any of the programs you'd done yep. prior to that? Yeah. Um, I had oh, prior to that, um, I'd been a research assistant on a couple, again, just dabbling in things, um, but not as a primary author prior to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was I, my first. Yeah. I feel um, like publishing published. is a really good path because I did yes. PhD with no research background either, didn't do a master's, hadn't done honours, but, but had, had the opportunity to publish stuff along the way in other, yeah. you know, even in projects we're doing. Yeah. And I think it, it's really good because it demonstrates that, you do have a commitment to disseminate your findings yes. and that sort of thing. So I think that's that's really helpful when you're going into a research And even program. now, like when I'm looking at writing grants and things like that at the moment, like all of those things paid off. Like all of those things yeah. have a benefit in the long run. So I was really lucky that I had the most wonderful supervisor. I was actually based in the School of Physio and he was a physiotherapist as my primary supervisor, um, but he was 
um, Professor Leon Straker was just the most amazing um, PhD mentor. And I was very lucky to be in a position where I was paid a small salary um, to be able to do that. Uh, and there were times, you know, when I definitely thought about whether that was the right choice. You know, a lot of my friends were in, you know, moving up into kind of more senior roles and I felt like I was, you know, off to uni. Yeah. I still kept my one day a week um, role. So I was allowed to work um, up to eight hours, which I did. And then the rest of it was in the the PhD. Um, but actually the PhD, like, again, I was really lucky. I didn't have kids at that point. I had, I could treat it as a day job. I did all of my study and work in work time, you know, yeah. um, but obviously compensated with the pay, but um, I just treated it like every single day you have to show up and do your job like you would if you were yes. in another setting. Yeah. And the, probably the most valuable lesson I learned from that process was like every little step that you feel like you've made no progress today, but everything you do gets you that tiny bit closer. And if you can just keep chipping away at this thing, it will gradually get more and more attainable. Um, and so I got to the end of my PhD at the end of 2014 so how um, long was that? How long did it take you? Uh, I started in 2011, so I pretty much okay. Was so the standard three years, yeah, yeah. Um, and I handed in. It was the beginning. It was just before Christmas, um, and I actually didn't hear for months, um, and I was like starting to get a bit panicky. And um, when I finally inquired, they had never passed it on to the examiners. It was still sitting in the in tray in, oh, in the PhD office. <laughs> I almost died at that point. Like I was like, what? <laughs> we've done so much um but anyway I um I passed with only m minor revisions um and I had some really excellent um reviewers so that was a, a very proud um moment yeah. for me to have my work read by people that I really respected in the yeah. field once I found out who the examiners were at the end um and yeah and th at that point I was like okay Dr Kyla what now is that? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so what was um, next yeah like people People were pushing me to do a postdoc and I had decided like, no, I am definitely out of this for a little while at least. Like I really, I value the the research part. I can see the value. I think it's really important, but I need a break from this now. I want to do something really doing based rather mm -hmm. than kind of a lot of that theory stuff in the back end. Um, and so I started my own private practice and I set up um, a very basic um Wix website I had done I dabbled in private practice before for somebody else it was in adults and it just I didn't care enough about what I was doing I wasn't interested in like getting on board with all the GPs in the area I you know I I, I didn't feel private practice I didn't have enough skill to be honest mm. um when I was younger in that space and so I decided that I was going to do what I was currently doing in health but on a private level um, and really thinking about how I could make things better without having to go through all the levels that working in a university or a government department requires. So I set up a home visiting service um, for fussy eaters and I made a very basic website. I had no idea about things like brand colours or logos or yes. I actually... <laughs> you know, paid a company to design a logo. I think it was $300 to design a logo and they sent me proofs and I just circulated them to every WhatsApp friendship group I had, like, which one, vote on them, you know, one to five, which one's the best. Um, and, like, now I look back, like, primary colours, like, bright blue, bright yellow, bright red, like, really not trendy um, kind of things. And I, like, my website had very all different fonts, all different colours, all different links. Like, I had no idea what I was doing, but... 
um, I just put it out there. I started seeing friends of friends. I was charging them ridiculous tiny amounts of money um, that wasn't worth my time. And I just gradually grew that um, while I was working in my other roles. So at that point, I was offered, um, I applied for two jobs because I was like, well, I finished my PhD, like I need to get working. I applied for a pediatric dietitian, um, one of the hospitals here, um, a more tertiary hospital, not our kids one, and the university in a teaching role. And I got both of those positions. I was offered both of those positions and I decided to go with the the university mainly because they give you the week of Christmas off. <laughs> that was my like primary decision making, which I mean, looking back, I, I do value that time, but um, you know, it's okay to make silly decisions as you uh, <laughs> go along. And to be honest, um, I wanted a little bit of flexibility to be able to maintain my my health role that I was still working in. And I wanted to be able to do a little bit of business stuff on the side. And my plan for the business was to make enough money. So it would be equivalent to doing one day a week at health. So my plan was like, I'd work two or three days at the uni, one day in my health role, and then one day kind of in private practice, that bit of variety. Um, And unfortunately, because the um, hospital job was going to be job sharing, I wasn't able to change those days. So it would have meant I'd have to try and change the whole team I was in and it just got too hard and I, so I went to the university one um, and I learned a lot there. Like I was teaching into the um, the master's program of dietetics. I had been teaching for like the 10 years prior to that as well in little bits and pieces, yeah. you know, kind of undergrad. I did a bit of second-year nutrition. Um, I'd been tutoring for a little while. So I kind of stepped into that bigger role and that required a fair bit of learning um, in a much more theory-based teaching rather than just what you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah. your your practice to start off with was exclusively home visiting for yep. fussy eaters. That's what purely you're from a on. low cost point of view, so that yep. I would be able to fit them in, you know, yep. after work, or I would be able to go on a weekend and see them, um, and not have to fill a clinic. I didn't want any pressure on me to have to get people through the door, and so it was a very organic growth. It was probably quite slow, but it it really suited what I wanted, and I had this kind of fallback of an actual job, mm. um, to pay the bills. And how long did it take you before you decided that actually the practice was what you wanted to do or give up well, the other jobs? it never really. I got, when I was, I was pregnant in 2017 and I was still working in the three jobs and I was, I remember one day kind of finishing at work at the uni and then going to a home visit and I was like, I am running myself into the ground here. Mm-hmm. Like there's always more chances to make money. There's always more chances to see more people, but at what cost? Like if this all falls apart, I'm actually not helpful to anybody, including yeah. myself. And that was probably the first time I really thought about like, what is the life that I actually want to live? Like, is it squishing work into every last, you know, hour that we've got? Yeah. No, it's not for me. Um, so it was basically in that time that I really started to think about what am I going to do with this business when I have a baby? What am I going to, you know, am I just going to put everything on hold for a while? How do we kind of do it? And at that point, I actually um, talked to a friend who um, I'd worked with for a long time at health department and um, she had was coming back from that leave and so we agreed that she would take on my client load um, for a while when I went on, went, on, went on mat leave myself. And so it would have only been a day a week of work. Um, but, uh, so you yeah, took mat leave from your other jobs? Yes, yep, I took paid yep. mat leave from my other yep. jobs and so um, that was, yeah, that was um did you return to them 
I didn't, not in that capacity, not in the capacity, right. no. And I ended up resigning from my um, university role kind of when I was about to come back because I was like, I can't manage this much work. No. Um, they wanted me to come back three days. So that would have meant three days would have been great, but I wouldn't have been able to do the business as well. And so I was starting to think then about what do I want to do? But actually I realized when I did have my baby, like I don't know that I want to come back to a lot of client facing work. Mm. Um, Cause you're obviously in a clinic, you're traveling, you know, by that point we had a base. So we had, um, we did home visits initially, but then people came to see us um, in the clinic for follow-up appointments. And so there's still then that pressure of like, if my child is sick, what do I do with these people in the clinic? Where do I put everybody? How do I fit all of this stuff in? I've got to be making enough money to cover the rent. I've got to be, you know, there's this extra pressure then to, to see all the people and do all the things. And I wasn't sure that that was what I wanted to come back to. I did come back to it and I did do that for a while longer and that kind of cemented for me that, nah, this is not my ongoing role. So did you have a, a general philosophy that you wanted to pursue with this business, like in terms of your your models of care or because you've obviously seen a lot of different ways of interacting with yeah. clients and h- helping parents? Like did you have yeah. an overall philosophy? Yeah, my philosophy is really based around supporting parents with where they're actually at and what they actually need. And so it was really about how can we be how can we be of service in a way that feels easy for everybody involved. And that kind of um, our mission is about this kind of service and communication without any of the barriers to get through. You don't have to meet certain criteria or do certain things or be bad enough, you know, for us to see you. It was, it was something that was accessible for everybody and would apply to everybody. Um, so, yeah, I was still at that point really thinking about where does this go? Like how do we... How do I make this something that I want to do for years to come? And that's when I kind of moved into this space. I was originally going to write a book when I was on maternity leave and it was going to be about what my daughter ate when I kind of did solids because it was it was combining what I had learnt through our extreme, you know, fussy eating clinics and all of the work that I'd done with families up until that point plus the kind of typical, you know, infant feeding guidelines, our, you know, ways of feeding babies at the moment and that lived experience and then yeah I writing a book felt really tricky and I at that point decided that actually a book probably wasn't what I needed because I needed to be able to change things every time I thought of a new idea like I'm a really good ideas person I like to think of like oh why are we doing it like this we could try this and we can do this and I'm always like every team meeting my the rest of my team now look at me like don't you speak like <laughs> every time I talk there's like more ideas to be actioned so you discover when you're not invited to the team meetings oh, anymore yes. they're a bit over you <laughs> yeah how many people do you have so. in your team now uh, we have uh six ongoing right. uh, okay. kind of like positions yep. yeah um yep. all part-time all kind of mums and um, women who are working part-time. So you've moved away from the book idea? Yeah, and I decided to launch a website, and this is before kind of memberships. Mm. It was really on the cusp of this being a new concept. Um, And so essentially I just um, worked with somebody to build a website that had a kind of paywall. So you had to pay, put in your details, and then you were able to access what was on the the website. And I really um, based that on what I was talking to people about on Instagram. So at the same time, I'd kind of, I'd set up an Instagram account and I was sharing what 
I was feeding Elsie, um, my baby at the time. And I just had so many questions from people. It started just with people who knew me, but then it kind of um, grew. It was probably had a thousand followers at that point um, in 2017. And then I just, they were all the same. The questions were always the same. And I had a number of kind of shortcuts in my phone, which are probably still in my phone. Um, If somebody asked a question, I was just, I'd type three letters and it would like fill out the response because it was so predictable what was happening. And I just thought there's so much information out there. How are we so stuck on this part of it? You know, like why are people not able to find this information? How do we make it easier for them to find? What do they want? And actually what people wanted was to see pictures and to see videos. And I just thought there's no space at the moment where people can see a baby eating and see how she learns to use a straw or see how she's scooping or see what pumpkin should look like at six months versus Mm. nine months, any of those things. And so at that point I decided like, okay, this has to be like Instagram but on a website so that people can come and find all the things that they need, but it's made for people who are really tired and can't think about everything and are just overwhelmed by life. And so it was like, how do we make that really simple? Um, and obviously I had no tech skills at this point, no design skills, nothing. I, I relied on the person that I ended up working with to build what I wanted. Um, and I don't think that they really got it at the beginning um, when I ended up moving to the next um, web designer, I was a lot more confident in like what I wanted as well. And and she really helped me. Um, and I'm with a third person now who um, is taking our vision kind of to the next level again. So a heap of learning, but I launched that program in 2018. Um, and I, it was for babies, you know, kind of four months getting started thinking about solids coming up to about one year. And I would say, Half of the people that signed up on the first day already had one-year-olds, but they were like, I have followed you and everything you've done for the last kind of six to eight months that I just want to be part of whatever you're doing. Like it it was really powerful for me to see these people who probably didn't even need the service anymore mm. paying money to be there. So did like, Instagram oh. kind of drive the website business? Like yeah, what? definitely. Like what I learned from Instagram definitely drove it. And that's where I really built these connections. And I've always tried to be um, like a person on Instagram. Like I yes. am a person, I talk to people in a, the way that people normally talk to people. Like I really realized that what they're telling me is going to drive what I do. Like, Mm. I cannot think that I am the expert in this space. I have to know what are their challenges? Like, if they don't understand this, why is our current information not working for them? What can I do differently that makes this easier for them? And I learned so many lessons from that engagement with everybody that I ever spoke to in that platform. Um, And I, I, you can tell when you're onto a winner, if you post something and it just is flooded with messages or comments and people are sending you their versions of things. You're like, okay, this has hit a nerve. I need to address something like this. Um, well, it's a, very, it's a very friendly, engaging Instagram account. Do you ever get negativity on it? Like, you know, because you You're hear a lot of bad road. stories. Oh, you had some this week? Typically, no. I actually have like one of the most amazing online communities. I, I'm very lucky. I very rarely get kind of trolled um in recent weeks we've had kind of the bluey oh yes (laughs) Um, which has brought 
some interesting um, commenters out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been a definite learning experience for me. Like I I had an issue with the way Bluey was portrayed in one of the episodes um, yeah. and I just shared that to my audience. It got picked up by almost all of the media outlets in Australia. Spun as well, do yeah. you know, like pediatric dietitian yeah. wants Bluey cancelled. Yeah, yeah, like, right. no, that's, that's not what I said. No. Um, so that kind of pulled out a lot of people. It did. There was a lot of kind of nasty comments on there, which I'm pretty okay to just delete nasty mm. comments. Like if you're just going to get personal about yeah. me, like that's uh, clearly a you problem, not me. Yeah. Um, I was a little bit shocked by the number of people who didn't get how problematic the thing yeah. was that I was raising. So I'm talking about diet culture in our kids, this kind of messaging about adults being unhappy with their bodies and how we just don't need to show kids that kind of information. And I was shocked by a lot of the people who couldn't see that as a problem. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely eye-opening. I don't think I would do anything differently um, in the future. I'd maybe consider like my own media um you know, summary to send out. Yeah. But to be honest, like I don't think they wanted that. Like they no. wanted a clickbait, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. But as a general rule, no. And I, I think my theory on why I don't is because, I, I mean, I'm not necessarily sharing like groundbreaking, you know, <laughs> challenging things, but also I have the evidence and the experience to stand by what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so I have always tried, and I'm really um, on this with our team, that we always leave with kindness. Like even if somebody doesn't agree with us, we never get narky or, or cranky at them. It's just like, okay, but like here's what we believe. Um, so maybe that's part of it. Maybe I've just got really lucky. Yeah, and with the, the membership um, model of business. I mean, I would have thought that's still quite novel. Uh, does, is that it is still, yeah. There's definitely a heap more um, right. out there now. So there's a lot more competition in the space. At the beginning, um, there wasn't. But also, I'm a big believer in you know, there's it's not scarce. Like there's enough parents in the world. Yeah. There's enough yeah. people. There's enough customers for everybody. Um, and I might not be some people's cup of tea in my approach, and that's fine. Like I don't need to service everybody in the world. Um, and I know that the members that I do service are like extremely satisfied. We run an annual survey each year for feedback, and I'm 100% committed to providing what they need and so if they tell us that actually this is something that they're missing well that's up to us to kind of get it to them so and do you literally see them move through the phases yes. with their children developing yeah 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 and some of our ones in family meal times so family meal times is for school-aged kids kind of four or five plus up to about mm. 12 and um, we launched in november last year and the number of people on launch day who kind of joined the membership and just sending me messages like I'm an OG baby member. Oh, like really? when I start, I started baby, you know, five years ago and here we are with my five-year-old in family. And that just, like that just makes everything worthwhile. Like to think that this has been of such value that these people want to buy from me. They want yes. to give me their money and do the program and learn like that. Oh, it gives me chills. It's amazing. Yeah, but I guess that's a two-way street, isn't it? Because that then motivates you to make sure that you're providing that value to people 100%. who are willing to part with money to get your advice. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, um, must be must be really nice to see. Um, and with your, you say you're an ideas person. So do you just literally have like a whole list because to come up with fresh content, particularly on social media, but also on your website, 
must be challenging. Do you just have a whole list of ideas? The or ideas are not challenging. Or... <laughs> no, it's time million... to get to them yeah. for us. Um, this is the thing, though. I think when you stay in touch with your audience, so in as part of the memberships, we have um, in all of the memberships a private member Facebook group where members can ask anything that they like and the team will respond within 24 to 48 hours. So we all have designated kind of days of responding. Um, and that's something that's quite expensive, like to pay dietitians and speech pathologists to respond to small questions is is expensive but it is such a valuable thing for members and for the team so every time you see a question come through and you have to respond you have to think about like where in the the membership is this how do I link them to the content what is missing what do we need to write here's something that's come through 15 times in the last two weeks we're missing it we need to do something about it and then all of our content really dribbles down from what our members need yeah Um, so your members are defining your content 100 yeah 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 that's great and the other thing i'm i'm interested and so you have two children we haven't heard much about this the second one (laughs) i know (laughs) poor second baby (laughs) um was so was she COVID baby? She was was late COVID, COVID, yeah. So actually she was the catalyst for quite big change in the business at that point. So until 20, she was born in 2021 um, and it wasn't until she was born in February and in 2021 towards the end of the year was the the first point that I had somebody join the team in a permanent ongoing role. So prior to that, I had one colleague working with me for one day a week and she was essentially just keeping the memberships kind of um, groups running in that time. But it was in the lead up to um, having Cleo, my second baby, that I I really had to sit down and think, what do I want my life to look like? What do I want my work-life balance to be? Um, because I, and I have a, a business coach um, who really said to me, like, why would you be having a baby and still responding on Mondays, Thursdays, and Fridays to your members? Like, Somebody else can do that. Why are you holding on to every single thing here? And that was really the point of me um, building the team. So it's it's still a very new team for me. And it blows my mind that like, we are constantly like busy. There is no, you know, lulls of things. The team will absolutely attest to that. I like up until that point, it was just me. Like I yeah. was just you know, and that was part of my identity as well. Like it was just me running the business, you know, doing all the things. Um, and that held us back from kind of growing and being bigger. But it's and a big so, step, isn't it, to let go when it's your, ba- your baby, your big third baby. Um, but it was almost like I really feel like for me having my second baby brought a whole heap of abundance because I had to. Like I had to give it away because I didn't want to be, you know, when I think back to my first um, baby, I was working every time she slept, every mm. time, you know, I would think, okay, I could quickly get this done. I can quickly do this. And, and like my first baby slept for 33 minutes every nap. So I was like, I was cooked. <laughs> I had no, you know, downtime, no ability to kind of do other things um, at that point. And I, I wanted to do that differently. And so having this chance to put down all the tools and let everybody else pick them up and not step on their toes either or kind of, um, you know, my leadership style is very much um, I trust my team, I I don't want to micromanage, I don't want to be checking on their steps. But, you know, it's hard when your boss is working right next to you doing the same thing. So it was really actually awesome for me to have that space to be able to, you know, 
bring new people in and, and really let them go to town on whatever it was they were working on. Um, and it really changed the business. And we are stepping into the next level of business now because we have a team and we can delegate things and we can do cool stuff and we can have a list of things that we want to work on. Um, everyone brings you know, new and fresh ideas and that like, I, I value that so much. So with your career to this point and, you know, obviously it has had quite a few twists and turns in terms <laughs> of um, just different, you know, areas that you've been able to work in. Do you look back now and think of is there a real career high point for you? Is it with your business developing or seeing it now or something else that you would say? I don't know if there's a high point necessarily. I feel like looking back on my career, every single thing had its place and even though I might not have seen it at the time, it was all building towards where we are now and every relationship I made, every board I volunteered on, all of those things either gave me some skills, some experience, some contacts. And I, I just feel like it's an upward yes. um, trajectory. And like there are times of challenge, don't get me wrong, but I feel like because of all of those things and because of all the skills that I come with now, I know my next step and it's like I'm actually yeah. most excited about what's coming next yeah. rather than anything we've achieved. And we've achieved really big things, don't get me wrong, but um yeah, I feel like looking towards the future is super exciting. And what have been some of the, the challenges along the way? And I guess particularly with setting up a business where it's brand new for you, what would well, you consider? Well, I, have no been- I had no business. <laughs> That's the challenge. That's a huge challenge. And to be fair, though, I almost feel kind of lucky that I didn't have any skills because I learned everything on the way. And one of my my big beliefs is that you have to learn from what you do, right? So if you do something and it's a complete flop, like you have to take at least one lesson from that experience. And I think I've got very good at that now as a, you know, in my later career of being like, okay, what did that teach me? Um, so definitely business, like I really only listened to podcasts at the beginning of like, okay, well, what are these, but what's a business mm-hmm. plan, right? What do these people do? Like, I'll just give it a go. And I have, I have done that based on instinct because I really know my community. So I, I, I make decisions like really on gut instinct rather than business. Having a business coach was a big one. That really did help me though. Yeah, as well. I was about to ask about Move that. Why did you decide level. that that would help you? Um, I went to a retreat. Um, I'll come back to the the challenges though because yeah. I definitely did. But I went to a business course, like a two-day course. It was in Byron Bay <laughs> and it was the first time I'd left my two-year-old um, and I was like, so I booked, you know, like a really late night flight so I could leave mm-hmm. after bedtime and a really early so I could get back. And I really rushed through this kind of course. But there were they talked through some kind of, you know, like what kind of life do you want and what are you setting up and what structures do you have in place so that things get easier instead of harder. And I really believed at that time that to make more money, I had to work more hours. Um, and I really hadn't thought about like what what can I do better or how do I actually explode what I have rather than continually adding more, seeing more clients, doing more things, booking more people um, because then you just you have no hours left in your life. Um, so that was kind of revolutionary at that point for me. It really changed a lot of things. We had like a, um, a, a group of three or four of us who we kind of met on Skype every month, you know, after that for a little while. And then I had booked to go on a retreat 
Um, another one. So this is going to be five days. So I think my daughter was going to be three and um, I was going to go for five days to Bali on this kind of half business, half personal retreat. And that was um, for May 2020. So um, in February 2020, we were like, nah, it's just like the flu, we'll be fine. (laughs) And then, you know, everything got cancelled. And um, so I had this kind of credit and um, the lady had said to me, like, you can kind of hold on to it if you want. I like we can just keep it and you know put it towards something else or you can turn it into like you can use it as coaching money if you want. I was like, well Yeah, who knows when we're gonna go back to the already spent, you know, <laughs> like let's do it. And so I started um doing a coaching program with her and that just really opened my eyes up to all these other things I had never thought about, never really had time to think about either, but kind of was a guiding light through there. And that that's given me a heap of confidence in what my next step is um and I would kind of run things past her and she would give me some different points of view and we'd plot out some goals I've always been terrible at writing goals and you know things like that so um yeah that was the business part in terms of the challenges um for me business was a big one but it's also become my love like I feel like I got bitten by the entrepreneur bug pretty you know strongly (laughs) I love it now and I love that I got my dietitian skills to a point where I could then move into business skills you know I, yes. I, my core skills are 100% there I still have all of those and now I'm moving up um, in the world so you know that it was a challenge 100% but it was a really fun challenge the tech challenges that I have faced have been really difficult like you don't know what you don't know and so you have to trust people to a certain extent and, you know, things can be set up really poorly or can be, you know, I've had a number of hackings, a number of malicious attempts, you know, to take the website, like all those kind of things that, I mean, my lesson is it's a forced upgrade. Like I have to then think about what is the security for this thing? What yes. is the next thing we have to have in place? Who is the right person that we work with? How many people can I talk to and get advice about this and then find the next best step? So that's been a challenge. I've always found staffing quite challenging. Um, I have an amazing team now, um, but I've found it hard to, especially in private practice, like how do you find the right person, train them up to the level that you want in your service and then trust that they'll stay and be able to offer the work that you want you know I I couldn't fathom how we do that and that's part of the reason I ended up selling the clinic part of the business because I didn't have the time to invest in people seeing clients when our only money coming in was from those clients Mm. that was also paying me so I found that a really difficult one and I find it hard to um offer like I don't want to offer in a small business like there's not a lot of wiggle room you know in terms of wages and all those things so I don't want to get the wrong fit someone who's just not right for our team or I don't want to get someone who doesn't have the skills and then not be able to pay everybody and you know do all of the things that I want so I I often only offer short-term contracts to start with because it's risky for me to say like yeah this is a permanent role because if you join the team and you are not in the flow of what we're doing, that changes everybody's work. Um, and are they all in West Australia or do you have them no, or virtual? most of our core team is. We do have a speechy in New South Wales um, who we love, but she's kind of in and out more. Uh, it's harder with, you know, time zones and yeah. meetings and yes. children and families and sick kids and all of the things. So I've tried to kind of have some remote, but I found that actually harder in the core 
team who yes. are like doing the day-to-day work day. harder when they are remote. It's not impossible, but it is harder. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's been challenged because you want to offer something to somebody to tempt them away from a permanent job, right? But, like, yeah. you know, is anybody with going to say, and, like, yeah, I'll come and work for you for three and months? And the right experience, yeah. Oh, with the right experience as well. Yeah. And I do, I'm confident, you know, we've had a lot of experiences now with taking students and taking placement and, like, I do want to be able to give back, but those have been challenges for us as well because we are such a, there's not a lot of room for, no. you know, sitting around talking about things and reflecting on things for a long time and students yes. require that. Yeah, so we've of course. to be really, like, smart about how we're going to do this so that we're still meeting our members' needs, we're still driving new projects, but we also are supporting students and supporting. We have an intern program now um, where kind of first-year masters can join um, the team and kind of have a three-month summer program. But it's all learning because it takes a lot of time from the team too. Yeah, yeah, out of the business. Well, Carla, you must be really, really proud of where your business is at the moment. And as we say, we'll watch it for bigger and better things. But if, you know, there's anyone listening who's, early in their career or even at a bit of a crossroads in their career or looking to start up a business do you have any sort of tips or advice for you know dietitians who are perhaps earlier in their journey than you are um yes I would say I just I have been at crossroads many a time in my (laughs) career um and there have been times when I've been really disillusioned with dietetics as a profession like oh here we go again like what am I going to do and I feel like I'm just giving advice to people who are ignoring Mm. it and you know like sometimes it is really frustrating and that's totally okay you can still fall back in love um with your profession and and I absolutely have um my advice to you would be think about what you feel really strongly about what is it that you want to do or want to change in the way, you know, the world works now with food and bodies and all of the things and then take a little step towards it. It doesn't have to be a leap. You don't have to start a business, but like think about how can you get experience in that space? Who can you meet that works in that space? How can you do a course or because every little thing that I did in you know the last 16 years has got me to this point right like every person I spoke to every you know dietitians Australia event that I volunteered to hand around canapes you know all of those little things make connections and also pave your path for you like I never there is no way I thought 10 years ago five years ago even that I would be in this position now, like I am the CEO of a company mm. and I employ dietitians in permanent roles. Like that is mind boggling to me. Like, remember, I wanted to make, I wanted to make 20 grand from my yeah. business a year to be able to like not work at health one day a week. Yeah. Um, and now I'm like, wow, all of those things that I did, all those people I talked to, all of those, you know, events I went to, the jobs I applied for, even just getting the feedback from some of those jobs shapes your next step and you actually don't have to plan it out it can it can all fall into place maybe not in the time frame you're looking for but it will the more people you you know connect with and the more things you do yeah i agree well congratulations on the business and on the instagram uh, it's thank beautiful you. um <laughs> thank you. uh wish i was something like that when i had little kids but um yeah i'll certainly be recommending it to anyone who needs um that sort of advice so thank you very much for talking to us today kyla and good luck with the growth of the business from here my pleasure thanks for having me jane 
To get all of the links and resources we discussed in this episode, you can go to dietitianconnection.com slash podcasts. And if you'd like to support the Dietitian Connection podcast, please leave a review and a rating on the Apple Podcasts app. Tell us what you thought of this episode, what you learnt, and share your guest requests for us to consider for future episodes. We value hearing from you, and we really appreciate your feedback. So please, please hit that review button. 